Well, today we close out chapter 3 of Ephesians, and we will, at the end of today's message, be halfway through the book of Ephesians, and with regards to its chapters. So we're nearly halfway, which is great. So, today is part 14 of our Becoming Who You Are series, and we're going to look at verses 14 to 21 of chapter 3. Um, and this is the second prayer of the Apostle Paul. So open your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 3 and read with me from verse 14 if you will. Go get your Bible, open it up and let's read it together from verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. This morning, Father, as we close out chapter 3, and as we look at this well-known passage of scripture may it be fresh may you speak may your holy spirit move this morning as we see christ and all he has done for us on the cross lord we ask this in jesus name amen as some of you know i'm a bit of a fan of cars and um, before i was 21 i owned numerous cars um, mainly because back then you could sell and buy for almost the same money um, and some of you know that I worked then in my later years in the car industry well that got me thinking you see it is possible to know a lot about a car to know how the engine the ignition the transmission and so on operate yet with all that knowledge you could never sit in that car and use it to go anywhere if you wanted. Well then it's also possible to know very little about a car and use it to every day travel hundreds of miles or well, maybe that's a sore point at the moment actually um, but travel hundreds of miles in that car that you know nothing about. Well why do I say this? Well in the same way it is possible to know a great deal about the Bible its teaching, its interpretations, its promises, its warnings, and so on, yet not live by those truths. See, over the last 13 weeks, we have seen in full colour the truths about the Christian life. We have, over these first three chapters, been given a wonderful insight into who we are in Christ and the great and unlimited resources we have in him. But now the tone changes, doesn't it? Now Paul is exhorting the Ephesian church and us today 
to live out these truths. He is calling us to live in the full power and effectiveness of, as it says in 1.3, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Remember that from week two. Paul and his first prayer in chapter 1 and verse 17 was, it was that the eyes of the heart of the church would be enlightened by the spirit to the hope and the riches and the greatness that we have in Christ Jesus. That was his first prayer. So his first prayer was that we would know the power that we possess in Christ. And now here in Paul's second prayer, we read Paul praying that we would use it. And before we get into the bulk of the prayer, let's just take a moment, I think, to flesh out verse um, 14 and 15. See, this phrase can be easily missed or at least read over. You could easily uh, skip over it, but it contains wonderful things as we see Paul turn to prayer and I think things we could learn. Uh, for instance, the, f the first three words, for this reason. Actually, actually, it's a phrase that is a repetition of chapter 3 and verse 1. You may remember that. Remember I said last week that Paul seems to have been unable to hold himself back from talking about the great mystery. And so we pick up what Paul was going to say before he added in the wonderful things we saw in the last 12 verses last week. So this is almost picking it back up where he started at the beginning of chapter 3. But notice how Paul and what he says in the next few verses says, I bow my knees before the Father. But what can we learn from this? Well, I don't think that he is teaching us um, how we should posture ourselves to pray. As Paul probably as a Jew probably stood to pray. Um, that was probably his normal uh, way of praying, as the Jews still do today at the Wailing Wall. However, what I think we must see from these few words is firstly that Paul, his automatic response to the truth that he has just declared is to get on his knees. It was so great, so deep, so profound that he is only his only proper response is to get on his knees. But more than this, I think we need to see here the relationship between child, Paul, and father. God because God is our heavenly father you see we don't need to fear or tremble when we come to him be afraid that he may cast us away or uh, even come to him thinking that we ourselves can somehow satisfy him like the pagans used to think when they pray to their idols but no we have a tender loving compassionate father who accepts us and any father who's listening maybe to this stream this morning knows that even when a child has done wrong, your arms are always a place of acceptance and tenderness. Well, if it is this way with a human father, how much greater is it with our heavenly father? See, and, and as Paul says in verse 15, it is from this heavenly father that every family in heaven and on earth is named and let me just clarify that it does not mean or refer to every single family on earth and in heaven as uh, every one how do i know that because we know that the bible teaches that there are two fatherhoods god's fatherhood and satan's 
See, God is the heavenly father of those who trust in him, and Satan is the father of those who do not. So I think what Paul is saying here is that every family in heaven and on earth refers to the saints, the Christians, of every age, those now in heaven and those still remaining on the earth. See, they are the only ones who can legitimately derive their names from God the Father. And the every family, although it sounds, I think, when you read that, very individualistic, it actually refers to Jew and Gentile, to you and me. And we are all part of one big spiritual family of God, in which, of course, there are many members, you and me, but only one Father. Okay, I think we've maybe spent a long, long enough, although we could spend longer on the first two verses. So now let's take the body of Paul's prayer, so the remaining verses of chapter 3, and split them into three sections. I think we can do this simply this morning. And the first one is this, if you're taking notes. A prayer for strength, verse 16 and the first half of verse 17. See, the point of Paul's praying for the church is to have strength um, and that's what he is praying for them, that they would have this strength, just the same as if someone was ill and needed to be strengthened. You know, for the sick, we actually pray that they may be strengthened and experience once again all that life has to offer. And Paul for the church is praying similarly to that, that God would strengthen it so that it is able to receive all the blessings God desires for it, as we've seen in the first three chapters. And is there any wonder that Paul prays this after all we have seen in the first three chapters? The immensity of all that God wants to do in his children, yet Paul, at this point, I think, as he prays this, realises that we are inadequate to grasp and to live that out. And so how is this going to be made possible? Well, Paul tells us two things that are going to happen. Did you see them as we read it? Well, the first one is this. We are going to obtain something from God's great wealth. Look at the phrase, according to the riches of his glory. We looked at this in a previous sermon some time ago. And what that means is that in our Heavenly Father we find an incomprehensible supply of resources that help us in our Christian walk. That's a simple way of putting it. Secondly, as we read here, there is the strengthening which comes from the Holy Spirit. Paul prays here that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. So that's the second thing. And let me try and make this second thing simple for us today. Think of your body. It is aging. It is growing more and more frail each day. There is nothing you can do to stop that. However, inside of every Christian lives the Holy Spirit. And he each day grows stronger and stronger as we live close to Christ. And so in short, we are frail containers pulsating with incredible God-given power. That's the way I think of it. Actually, 2 Corinthians 4 and 16 says this. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed 
day by day. So we are becoming full of Christ and he, and he fills us uh, from his capacity according to his riches which are immeasurable. Before we move on, know that not only does he fill us, but when he does so, he actually enlarges our capacity for more of him. Isn't that amazing? Okay, let's move on to point two, which is this, a prayer for love. Second half of verse 17 to the first half of verse 19. And at the outset of this point, let me say this. Paul's prayer for the church to love is the very ethic of the next three chapters. It is the foundation of the next three chapters. That is what Paul is praying for, that we would love. And I want us to all take uh, this week to read through chapters 4, 5 and 6. Go away, take uh, 4, 5 and 6 and read it twice. And that will give you six days or read them in halves. And that will uh, allow you to get to next Saturday having read those. And those of you who were present on week one of our series, I will uh, hopefully you remember me saying that the first half of Ephesians is very theological, the second half is very practical. So please go away this week and get ready because it's going to be challenging as we uh, read it about how we live as Christians and how we as wives and husbands and children, as parents and as a church, we act and should live. Well, having said that, Paul uses in this foundational prayer metaphors. He often does this, doesn't he? But here it seems like he gets them mixed up. That uh, he uses two metaphors and it seems like they cannot match, but until you look at it perfectly, they do. Let me explain. Paul uses rooted and grounded in love. That was the metaphor. And rooted here is agriculture, isn't it? Obviously. But grounded, it literally means founded. And that's, that's uh, architectural, I suppose. But their significance are perfectly paralleled. See, like trees, our lives are to send down deep and wide into the soil of love. And like buildings, our lives here on earth are to have deep, solid foundations of love. And if we are properly rooted and constructed on the foundation of love, nothing will shake us. Nothing will be able to shake us. And so they match perfectly. Dr. Barnhouse, uh, an American Christian preacher, author, pastor, theologian and writer, pointed out that love is intrinsic to all the fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5. He said this, Love is the key. Joy is love singing. Peace is love resting. Long-suffering is love enduring. Kindness is love's touch. Goodness is love's character. Faithfulness is love's habit. Gentleness is love's forgetfulness, self-forgetfulness. Self-control is love holding the reins. I thought that was great. There is no fruit of the Spirit without love, and without love between uh, each member of the church, there is no effective ministry. That's how serious this is. Well then Paul, having prayed earnestly for the Ephesians to adopt a lifestyle of love, now turns his focus upward 
to the vertical love of Christ, praying that we would be able to mentally comprehend its dimensions. See, Paul prays that being rooted and grounded in love, we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. Come this summer, it will be eight years since I met Sarah, my wife. I still remember the first time I saw her, the first time we talked. Um, I remember the common ground that we shared, um, the morals that we shared. I remember the way she looked and her laugh, her smile, uh, her passion. Um, and as we got to know each other over a period of time, we fell deeper in love with one another. Uh, we married just a year after our first meeting. And I thought I couldn't love her more than on that day. Now, I'm not getting soppy, but this is a, uh, a reality and a true thing and helps us today. So I didn't think I could love her as much, but I was wrong. See, the soul exchange of nearly over eight years, the joys, the sorrows, the trials, the parenting, nightmares, our mutual love for Annabeth, our daughter, our ministry together, have fostered a love that continues to grow deeper and deeper. And because of that, I know that there is greater love to be experienced ahead. One way to put it is that the love we have is incalculable. Oh, it's finite, yeah, and it's flawed, absolutely. But nevertheless, there is no instrument on earth that can measure it. Why do I say this? Well, actually, for contrast. Because our text calls us to consider the infinite love of Christ. The four magnitudes, breadth, length, height and depth. Now briefly let's think of each of these now. Firstly, wide. It is a love that is wide enough to embrace the world. That is Christ's love. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But then long. It's a love that is long enough to last forever. Spurgeon said this, It is so long that your age cannot wear it out. So long your continual tribulation cannot exhaust it. Your successive temptations shall not drain it dry. Like eternity itself, it knows no bounds. Well then thirdly, the height, how high. It's a love that is high enough to take a sinner to heaven. And then fourthly, how deep it is. A love that is so deep and deep enough that Christ came to Death Valley and he reached down and he lifted us up from that lowest place. See, Jesus' love is incomprehensible. But Paul prays that we would comprehend it. He asks... Uh, for an impossible task, yet he calls us to this almighty task that we would exercise uh, our being to the benefit um, of our souls. But don't, uh, you know, don't think this re this request and phrase because we can grasp his um, his love in community. It's not ungraspable. If that is a word. 
as we meet and we open God's word together, as we join together in community and we worship one day when we reunite together, that will be a vehicle where we will be able to some way comprehend his love and understand it as we understand it in the form of community. Well then, in our final point today, I want to say this. It's a, there's a prayer for fullness. Prayer for fullness. Paul's final request is that the church would be filled with the fullness of God. That is the staggering thought because the fullness here is the fullness. I hope this makes sense. Fullness which fills God himself. You know, let me let me try and explain this with an illustration. I remember standing in Ilo, Peru, in 2017, on the edge of the shore of the South Pacific Ocean. Um, I was just a dot on the shore of a seemingly never-ending expanse of water. And if I had taken a pint jar of uh, an empty pint jar and I had put it into that ocean, the ocean would have rushed into it and in an instant my little jar would be filled with the fullness of the Pacific Ocean. But of course I could never put the fullness of the Pacific Ocean in my jar. And here's my point. Because Jesus is infinite, he can hold the fullness of God. But whenever one of us finite creatures dips the tiny vessels of our life into him, we instantly become full of his fullness, just like that jar. Yet as he fills us, we are actually able, as I said before, to increase our capacity for more of him. That's a mystery. That is true. This will be our experience in eternity. We will be loaded with the fullness of God. Well then, finally and briefly, Paul has prayed for strength, love and fullness. This is a high theology and it's typical of the Apostle Paul. But there is also one more thing that is typical of Paul. And that is his high theology turning into high doxology. But what is doxology? Well, simply this, it's praise. And let's read these well-known verses, verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Oh, how true these words of praise are in light of what we have just seen. Of course, he is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. And he will make those things a reality by his power within the believer. See, the result of which Christ is glorified through the church, his people, his chosen nation, to all generations forever and ever. ever. And that final Amen, I can just imagine the Ephesian church in loud affirmation saying Amen as they listen to what we've looked at over these uh, 11, 12 weeks from the first three chapters. And so now we have a prayer list, don't we? Pray for an inner strengthening. That's the first thing we need to pray for. To enhance our capacity to hold what he has for us. Secondly, we need to pray for love. Uh, we need to pray for love that practically lives 
out in our lives that is rooted down deep and so we can better understand the unfathomable love of Christ. And thirdly, we need to pray for an ever-growing fullness of his life and in eternity. We need to ask God for that. And with this I finish. When we pray these prayers that we've just seen today, we've got great optimism, haven't we? See, in 1 John 5, 14 to 15, it says this. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Paul, Paul's prayer is God's revealed will for our lives. Therefore, if we pray for its three parts, we will receive them. So church, let's get the prayer. Let's pray for these things, for yourself, for our church, and let's be ready as we continue through this series to learn more and more of who God is calling us to be, and who he is uh, establishing uh, us to be as a church and as individuals as he works his mighty power out in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we ask uh, that you would... Uh, do these things in our life, Lord, that we would have a strengthening, uh, that we would be able to um, comprehend just your uh, incomprehensibleness. Lord, we ask that in some measure by your spirit that we would um, be able to understand more of who you are. Lord, we pray that we would have a greater capacity for love, loving one another, loving those in our community, just as Christ loved us. Lord, that we would have a greater capacity for fullness. Lord, may we understand, may you establish in our lives the reality that we are filled with Christ, but we can be ever filled with him. And we long for the day where we will be fulfilled in heaven, and we will be like him for eternity. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful praise at the end of this prayer this doxology lord we thank you that we have used it many times in our own prayers lord thank you that there is such great truths and wonders here lord we ask that you would establish uh, these things uh, in our lives well now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.